Um, this morning I want to teach on everybody wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die to get there. <laughs> and you might wonder, how did he come up with that title? Because I don't want to die. <laughs> I enjoy life. I love my family, love my friends. But regardless, if we want to get there, we have to die. <clears throat> um, in, in my text this morning, I'm going to use 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. And it states, uh, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I would like to, to give honor to Brother and Sister Grant. Thank them for all their hard labor and everything they do and for the opportunity to be able to come up here and preach or teach this morning. And uh, thank God for you all being here. Um, the Bible states in the scripture that I just read that we are made up of the flesh and of the soul and of the spirit. And our body, spirit, and soul, of the three, the soul is the most important. 1 Corinthians 15 and 45 says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last man was made a quickening spirit. The last Adam, speaking of Jesus Christ. Notice when God told Adam in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, You will die. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, every, Of every tree of the garden thou, thou mayest eat, freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now we all know that Adam and Eve surely ate of that fruit. But they did not die immediately. And the reason being is because God was not referencing the flesh, even though the curse of the flesh came upon them, but he was referencing the death of their soul or the, um, the damnation of, of our souls. Our flesh will die, but the soul will live forever. Matthew 10 and 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body. Because our bodies require elements to keep us alive here in the earth. They require oxygen, require CO2. They require blood. They require the organs that God has placed within us to filter the blood and to move the blood and to oxygenate the blood and to do all those things. Uh, I, have a, I had a very, very good friend of mine, a gentleman that I hunted with for many years, and he passed, he passed away several, three years ago. And 
I never knew this, but there is a, we are hardwired, our heart is hardwired to our brain. And there's a signal that goes through the nervous system, and it causes our heart to beat. His signal stopped, and they said he was dead before he hit the floor because of that. Our bodies are so complex, but they are not the important element in our life. Um, and, and fear them to which kill the body. So our body can die, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy, destroy both soul and body in hell. So in our lives, there's three elements. The soul, the body, and the spirit. And God created all of that. God created the heavens. God created the earth. And God created a place called hell. We call hell. So... To establish this morning, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And our souls are going to live in one place or the other. Notice God's word is true above everyone else. The Bible says, let God's word be true and every man a liar. In 2 Peter 1 and 20, it says, Knowing this first, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So no one interpreted and decided what they were going to write down. The prophets of old wrote what they wrote, not because that's what they desired to put down in the Bible, but it's what God desired the Bible to say. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man... But holy men of God spake as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. So God's Spirit moved upon an individual, and that individual penned the words that God so desired to be in the Word of God. So it is our authority above all else. And so many times we focus so much upon the name. The name of Jesus Jesus is powerful, we are taught, to have faith in that name, right? To have salvation through that name. And that our prayers should be in that name, the name of Jesus. And also notice that at that name, every tongue will confess for Romans 14, 9 through 12 says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So the name of Jesus is a very powerful thing. But notice, let's look what the word of God says. 
In Psalms 138 and 2, it says, I will worship towards the holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So the Bible establishes to us that we have a soul. It establishes to us that there's a heaven and that there's a hell. And it establishes that the word is the authority in our life. So if we want to know, if we desire to know what it takes, what are the elements to shun a hell and to enter a heaven, we must revert to the word of God. Belief in God is the beginning element of salvation. If you don't believe, how can you ever begin to acquire salvation? So believing on the Lord God in your heart is not the element of salvation. It is the cornerstone and it is the beginning to salvation. Genesis 2 and 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So, we are created by God. All things are created by God. All manners of, of evil and good are in God's hands. And so, we must believe first that there is a God and that He is almighty, He's omnipotent, He's omnipresent, He's everywhere, He's all-knowing, He's everything to us. We know with the creation of humanity now that God provided life, how? Through His breath in and made man, what? A living soul. He formed a soul in us. If we believe in God, then we must believe there is good and there is evil. I mean, it's prevalent today. It, it, I work, one of the guys that worked for me was a, a ex-prison guard. And him and I, I've had some, some conversations in the last couple of weeks. Evil is real. We may not, it may not touch our lives. It may not be in the realm of our lives, but it is real. How many of you have ever been outside of the United States of America, out to another country, a country where laws, you know what the difference is between us and other countries? Not so much anymore is the rule of law. In other countries, there are people that are above the rule of law. And so they, they, that their evil is never placed into check. It's never um, dealt with. And, and it seems more and more and more in the United States of America that people can commit crimes or do things, and, and the judicial system is set up to where, you know, the, the authority, the law enforcement people, uh, and, and the rule of law has no authority over a criminal. The criminal has more rights than the victim. And, and it seems, though, that certain people in certain places of power are above the rule of law. 
And so as, as our society deteriorates and as we move closer to anarchy, I, I mean, with all these protests and, and these such vile hatred towards people and the things that people do. And, and so as that evil becomes more prevalent and it begins to consume everything, the only thing you can do as a rule of law falls, a country is cast into anarchy where, hey, the toughest, meanest, most evil rule. And so evil does exist, but good exists as well. That's why the law was in place in Deuteronomy. That's why God established the law among his people to keep evil in check. Um, so we know today that there is good and evil. We've experienced it. I mean, one of the ladies in our church was attacked at a parking lot right here in the, at the uh, mall. My wife was on the phone with her when, when it took place, and the guy had a gun and stole her purse and knocked her down in, in broad daylight. And the police, I mean, they never showed up. And then they tracked the phone. I'm giving you an example of what I'm talking about. They tracked her phone to where it was located at the house that they went to with her purse. Law enforcement did nothing. Why? Because they knew that even if they went in and convicted the criminals, it was no big deal because they'd be getting out. And, and so, I mean, do you know that for a fact? No, that's my presumption. Because our laws have been set up to where it protects a lot of criminals in, in, in what they do. But anyway, what I'm trying to establish here is that the Word of God demonstrates to us that there is good and there is evil. Uh, one example of that is God destroyed all the living, all the living things because of evil. Genesis 6 and 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And we have a testimony of that today of what took place there. God establishes his word. God's word is true. If you don't believe it, try it. It will, it will prove itself to you. So whenever God destroyed all of the earth in the flood, what was the sign, what was the symbol that it wouldn't happen again? The rainbow. That was a symbol from God. When God does something, God establishes it. There is no way that we came from a big bang. I mean, it may have been big, a big bang because God stood on the forefront of, of nothing and said, let there be something. There may have been a big boom from his voice. But it didn't just occur and happen. It was designed by God. It is too complex not to have an element of ruling. And so people can say what they want. 
They can try to dumb down God. They can try to dumb down um, an individual's belief of God. But I am here this morning to say, try God. Come and taste and see that the Lord, He is good. Whenever you dig into the Word of God and you begin to experience things in the Word of God, your belief and your and your faith in God will increase. And therefore, that establishes you more in your belief with God, which lets you go to another dimension in God. And so, what I am trying to establish this morning is that you have a soul. It's going to live somewhere. Today, it lives here. But when your last breath is drawn, it's going to live somewhere in eternity. And God has established two places in the Word of God. It's either going to be in heaven or it's going to be in hell. The Word is established. We have good and evil. We can see it with our own eyes. Some of us have even participated in it, and some of us has even have even been evil in our lives. Such were some of you, some of we, some of me. But we've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been changed. And so you you have participated in the things of God. So good and evil are also discerned. Matthew 7 and 17 through 20. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth fruit, a good fruit. Every tree bringeth forth not fruit, good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. They're talking about individuals. They're talking about what people do. You can tell someone is either evil or good. You can discern that because that's the way the order of God. Our God is an orderly God. He's not a God of confusion. Notice the process. What was the process in Genesis? God created and formed man out of the dust of the earth, correct? He breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. The breath of God, it was by God. The breath of God breathed into that form of whatever it was laying there. However he created it, however he designed it, it was laying there, lifeless, nothing to it. And it was only by the power and the demonstration, and it was by something possessed of God. And he breathed it into this this pile of mud. And it became a living soul. Our souls belong to God because God granted us the opportunity to live. Ecclesiastes 12 and 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth. Notice, God is an orderly God. As it was, and the spirit of the soul shall return unto God who gave it. So God gives and God takes back. So we have this war going on within us between the flesh, the spirit, and the soul. And we're made up as Adam was made up until we believe in God and we receive God 
and we have God's salvation dwelling on the inside of us. We have an Adamic nature. What does that do for us? That causes us to act like Adam. How did Adam act? Adam was rebellious towards God. Him and Eve did exactly what God told them not to do. And so as children, do you have to teach your children to lie? No. No. I have to tell Weston all the time, if you lie, I'm going to whip you. I don't have to say, if, I, if you tell the truth, I'm going to give you a candy treat. He knows how to lie. And Jaden too. But you have to teach them to be kind. They, they can fight and wrestle and tussle and be mean to one another. They can lie, children, because they have an Adamic nature. What is the job of a parent? Well, we got to teach them to be good citizens. We got to teach them to, to play with others. We got to teach them to tell the truth. <clears throat> so, men. Women are not the only ones that are complex. We're complex too. I didn't get no laughs, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> Just joking around. We're complicated because we have this war going on between heaven, between hell, between God, between Satan, between our flesh, between our soul, between our conscience, between... It, 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 it wars. We know what to do good, but we don't do good. We do bad. And so we have this war going on. Uh, Romans 7 and 18 through 20 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will it is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. This is Paul speaking. For the good that I would, I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. I can comprehend with that. Because here I set up, and I'm fixing to hit this awesome shot to the green. And I'm thinking about it, and I know how to swing, and I know, and guess what? It don't turn out like that. It goes in the woods. What? It's easy, right? No, it's not. It's complex. We need help. We need help from God. Um, <clears throat> now, if I do that what I, I would not, it is more that I do it, no more that I would do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So what Paul is saying is, I really know what I need to do to do right. But my flesh battles against the soul, the spirit that wants to do right. So we have this war raging within us to stop from doing what is good and it's easier to appease the flesh and do that which is not good. How do you know? Because I'm in the flesh. Our flesh wrestles against our spirit and our soul. You know, we want to do good but we find ourselves doing bad. So what happens is, as time progresses and time goes on, as we all know, some of us more than others, that as that pull pulls us from God, in the beginning, we keep that touch with God. We keep that reverence with God. And as we go further and further and further away, 
then we lose some of the aspect and some of the tenderness that we have with God. Adam and Eve, God's going through the garden in the cool of the day. And God says, hey, Adam, where are you at? And, and what does he say? I hid, I'm hid. I hid myself. And we hide ourselves from God because of the condemnation that is in our life and the conviction. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The condemnation being that we condemn ourselves and we don't feel like that we can ever overcome ourselves and that we can never do good and we can never satisfy and we can never live up to. Conviction being, hey, you've done wrong, pick yourself up, get headed down the right road because you can do that. But condemnation tries to suppress us and keep us down. And therefore, when we succumb to our condemnation, we pull ourselves further away from the presence of God and the things of God. So don't let condemnation drive you from God. Yes, we know to do good, but we do bad, Paul said. Here's a man that, that wrote most of the New Testament. And he said, I struggle and I fight with it too. So you may struggle and you may fight with it, but don't let condemnation push you farther from God. Yes, when you feel conviction, find a place, repent, start over, and let God begin to rebuild you and to make you into what He wants you to be. <clears throat> so the soul is going to live after the flesh has turned to dust. Matthew 25 and 41 says... Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God has provided us with two options. One heaven, one hell. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. John 14, 1 through 4. So, I'm just trying to establish the two options that we have here. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus speaking, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know, there is a way to go to heaven. And there is a way to go to hell. Your options are decided by you. You have choices. God made us living creatures and gave us the mind to be able to choose. There are two ways to heaven. We pass from this life, then there is the way I want to go, the rapture. Like I said, I love living. I, I enjoy life. I love my family. I love my friends. And I really want to go to heaven. But I don't want to die to get there. But I don't, you know, want my flesh to die. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself 
shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead of Christ shall rise first. Then we, we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But in reality, the only way we get to heaven is you have to die. Ultimately, that's the only way. I'm not talking about a physical death. I'm talking about a spiritual death that takes place. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he says, uh, Master, thou art a ruler. And he comes to him by night, and, he, and Jesus simply looks at him and said, Lest You must be born again. And he looks at him and he says, I'm confused. I don't understand. How can I end my mother's womb a second time? He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he looks at him and he says, That which is born of flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit, the capital S, God's Spirit, is Spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Born again. That's a southern lingo for you. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. You canst not tell from whence it cometh, nor whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So Jesus here is teaching Nicodemus, you want to go to heaven? This is the plan, buddy. You got to be born again you got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Well, how are you born of the Spirit? Well, how are you born of the water? Well, it's so ironic. God's Word is so emphatically uh, established. Because if you jump to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, we have Nicodemus here asking what I need to be, what needs to happen. Jesus is explaining it to him with metaphors, I think is the correct word, or, or examples. And he says, And the day of Pentecost was fully come, and there were all in one accord in one place. Notice. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And notice, notice, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, or God's Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, so now we've established that we have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. And he gave the wind as an example and the very first time in the New Testament when someone was born of the Spirit, they were born according and in line with the example that God gave in John chapter 3, verse 8. There was this wind. What was it? It was the Spirit of God coming into these individuals, and they began to speak in a different language. 
And a while back I gave a, a Bible study on how difficult it is for a human being due to their neurological challenges, which I have many, um, to be able to speak in another language, especially as an adult. And, and the people were marveled by this. Why? Because it was not natural. It was supernatural. And when you decide and you believe that God is real and you want to be born again, you will be born again in a supernatural form. You must obey the gospel and you must be filled with God's Spirit. You might say, well, they weren't born of the water. They were previously under John's baptism or Jesus baptized them or one of them. So the water being born of the water is baptism. Baptism in Jesus' name. And the boy being born of the Spirit is God's Spirit filling your body. And the initial sign of receiving that Spirit is speaking in a foreign language or another tongue. You must obey the gospel and you must be filled with God's Spirit. 1 Peter 4, 17 and 19. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Where is that? That is right here. That is in the sanctuary of God. This is a refuge. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator, God is faithful. He did create us. The gospel is simply obeying what Christ did for us spiritually. Now, we all know what Christ did. He died. He hung on a cross. He died. He was buried. We die in our flesh through repentance. We repent. God forgives us. We ask God's forgiveness. That is repentance. In that repentance, we commit to God that we are going to turn our lives around with his assistance and with his help. And our burial, our form of burial, when that old man dies, when that old human flesh dies, when I say man, I mean mankind, all of man, all of mankind, when when that old man dies, then we must be buried. You don't want an old stinky body laying around that his disease starts developing and all kinds of, of bad things happen. So we must be buried to wash away that old man. We are buried in baptism in the water in the name of Jesus. We must be resurrected into a new life just as Jesus was resurrected from the tomb. And that is God filling us with his spirit. Acts 2 and 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, so, so they're in the upper room. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. They fall out of there. They're speaking in all these different languages. And the people are saying, These guys can't do that. They, they can't. They, they're, not, they're not educated enough to do it. They shouldn't be able to do it. But they are doing it because it's supernatural, because it's from God. And the human mind cannot comprehend a lot of times the things of God. 
And maybe you're struggling and maybe you're wandering, but it's pretty simple. Find a place and say, God, forgive me and help me change my life. Okay, you've done that. Okay, come to somebody in the church and say, I need to be buried. We know what that means. We're going to take you up there. We're going to put you in the water and we're going to dunk you down and say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we baptize you for the confession and the profession of who he is. And then God is faithful and just and God will fill you with his spirit and your life will change. And you will have strength and you will have stability. And if you rely on God, you can overcome the flesh. You can overcome condemnation. You can overcome the things that drive you away from God. But those are the steps for a natural man to step into a spiritual world. If you hunger and if you thirst after spirituality today, that is how you do it. You must obey. You must believe in what God has told us. So Peter's sitting there, and they're making fun, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, and Peter preaches them a message. He said, you bunch of lowlifes killed God manifested in the flesh and you destroyed him and they get convicted in their hearts and they say, what must we do to be saved? And he looked at them and Peter said unto them, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and unto your children and to all that are far off as is even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We must, we must be filled with God's Spirit. If you want to go to heaven, you got to die. Paul said, I die daily. What did he mean by that? He meant that he had to keep his flesh under subjection and that the Spirit could rule in his life. Until you have the Spirit of God, until you've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can't live victorious. You can live. You can live happily. There are people that live happily without God. So they appear to be, but on the inside, I guarantee you their soul cries out at night. But you can walk through this life and you can do things and you can appear to be happy, but your soul on the inside is always looking for a way to make its way back, to lift up and to magnify the Creator. So if you want to go to heaven, you have to die. It doesn't matter if you're taken up in the rapture. It doesn't matter if you draw your last breath and you turn to the dust of the earth. Unless you die in this life, you will not make heaven. Romans 8, 9, and 11 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. No, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, then the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness, that good and evil. 
But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwell in you. So, the word of God establishes to us that God is real. His word is authority. We have a soul, a spirit. We have our flesh to fight. And there is good. There is evil. Evil will drive us from God. Good will bring us towards God. And the only way that you make heaven is by the death, the burial, and resurrection, and you being born again as a human believer. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah, Jesus, we thank you this morning, God, for your goodness and your mercy and your word. Lord, God, touch us and strengthen our hearts and our minds to live for you and to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, you are dismissed to linger, get you some water, take a bathroom break, and meet back here at 11 o'clock.